we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 25. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written... You shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or a spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For... All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is the word of God. Good morning, family of God. (laughs) The last couple weeks in the book of 1 Peter, Pastor Chauncey has done an awesome job of alerting us to a couple things. The fact that these exiled Christians in the church of Asia Minor area and beyond were blessed and had a fortunate circumstance in Christ. No matter how poor the outlook might have been, I'm going to say it again, no matter how poor that outlook might have been, they were blessed because they were saints, they were elect or chosen by God, and were called to a gospel which was much bigger than themselves. Amen? They were called to this gospel which was preached to them through people, many witnesses, many saints, like Peter says in verse 25 of our text today, who preach the good news to you at great cost to themselves for the salvation of your soul. All of that which is still going on today, isn't that true, church? Have you had somebody come preach to you the good news of the gospel? Did it change your life? Did it transform your heart? Did you know Jesus because of it? Amen. 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 We too are immeasurably blessed because of this reality. We've had somebody come and share the precious gospel with us for the salvation of our souls. 
But this week, the apostle Peter like shifts gears. With all that in mind, Peter calls us to an opportunity to work to become the people who the grace of Jesus has made us to be. We have an opportunity today, an opportunity today to become the children of God. Everybody say children of God. That's our sermon title for today, children of God. And as we dive into the word, my prayer today is this for you. As a children of God, and I hope you're writing this down, you meditate on it throughout the week. As a children of God, we would remember the gospel of grace and work to continue to be the children of God we have been chosen to be. I'm going to say that one more time for you. As a children of God, we would remember the gospel of grace and work to continue to be the children of God that we have been chosen to be. Amen? Isn't that a good goal? It's a good goal for today. It's all about grace. It's all about God's love. We could not do this work on our own. So before I begin diving into the text, let me say a prayer for us that God would root this reality in our hearts. Bow your head with me, please. Oh, Father, we desperately need you. We desperately need your grace. Lord, I, I see this word right here. And Lord, I am so scared we're going to miss it. Father, it's such a good word. Lord, preparing our mind for action. For action. Lord, I want my mind to be ready for that. So, Father, would you help us to understand today what it means to set our hope fully on the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ that is going to be revealed even more fully in the days to come in such a way that transforms our life and makes us holy people, ready to do good works of love and justice in our communities and our friendships and our relationships and our families and our homes and ready to love the brothers and sisters of Christ with our whole lives. Father, would you please help us today? We need your grace. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 13 says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love words like therefore. Therefore is so awesome when I get it in the scriptures. I'm one of those people, I'm not super great at like following arguments and such, you know. So I read and I read and it's awesome. But then I get to things like this and I'm like, okay, therefore. Okay, he's, he's switching, he's changing it. Okay, the argument is shifting gears a little bit. And I'm so glad good writers do that. Because in verses 1 through 12, the Christians have been chosen by God. And because these same Christians have been joined to Jesus Christ in baptism and redeemed by him, and because they have been strengthened by the Holy Spirit, they are to prepare their minds for action. This term, preparing for action, literally means to gird up the loins of your mind. Or as C.E.B. Cranfield, a British pastor and theologian suggests, we translate it as this, rolling up the shirt sleeves of your mind. Mm. Isn't that good, y'all? Rolling up the shirt sleeves. 
literally during the time of this passage, they would wear long things. You guys know, you've seen it. You watch The Chosen. You watch all kinds of things. They wore things. They were like, they had the things, and they were down here, and they had pants and all that, and it was good, right? You know, as they were chilling, they would, they would have the pants down low. You know, they would be like this. But when it was time to work, It was, it, was time, it was time to work. Man, these things get in the way. I got I to gotta move. I got to go somewhere. I got to be prepared for work and action. I have to. These things got to come up. I got to gird my loins. And this is the same metaphor. This is the same metaphor that the Bible is pushing right here. It's the same metaphor, except for it's with your mind. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. With your mind. It's not time. It's not time. Yeah, my, my leg is still up, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, it reminds me of back in the day when I was chilling, and I thought this was a style, you know? Anyway. Um, the, the time is to get prepared, y'all. It's time to get prepared for good works. It's not passive time. It's active duty time. Instead of listing a bunch of rules, though, it's really interesting what Peter does next. It's not a bunch of rules that he says, you should do this and do that, do that, okay? It wasn't that. Instead, the next thing he says, he says, set your hope. Set your hope, which is the first imperative or command of this passage. And it's a big one. Because this hope is not something that's like a pie-in-the-sky thing. He's saying, set your hope fully. Set your hope fully. to the reality of the gospel and you will be prepared. Put your whole stock here on the gospel. Put your whole stock there. Hedge your bets there on the gospel. Nowhere else. Nowhere else but the gospel. Not just some of it, but all of it. Set your hopes fully there, and especially on the grace of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Peter is not talking about an action that you can do on your own. This action clearly is rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ, a work that you could not have done on your own. It is also something that is experienced more fully in the days to come. Look at the next phrase will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, we live in the already, everybody said already? already, where we experience some of the joy of knowing now the God of the universe through Jesus Christ and becoming like him. So this is, again, not like a pie in the sky thing, like, oh, you know, one day we're going to just look up in the sky, and you know, if we just keep looking there, everything will be all right. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. No, no. But Peter here is saying that we need to develop a bigger eye for the not yet. Everybody say not yet. yet. A hope in which Christians thinking deeply on the gospel of Jesus Christ meditate so hard on what the world and themselves would look like in the end when Jesus returns and sets everything right, of course, that they start preparing themselves for holy action now. Literally having the end 
in mind. Okay? You get it? The end in mind. Remember, disciples of Jesus were called continually to pray the Lord's Prayer, which says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the children of God are supposed to plant roots in their souls of hope that is not escapism from the world's problems or ills, which would be a temptation for especially this, this church that Peter is talking to right now, right? They were persecuted. When they witnessed for Jesus, it was with their lives. I mean, literally, their lives are on the line. But rather, with participation in, of God in mind, they would set their hopes on the gospel of grace. And they would become reformers or witnesses in this world who would be ready for every holy work, even if their life was on the line. Mm. This is why we're going to skip forward a little bit to verses 18 through 21. After giving some commands in verses 14 through 17, which we'll talk about here in a second, he lays out the gospel, purely the gospel, so that we would see what was given for us, the cost, so that we would respond appropriately as true children of God. Verse 18 says, knowing, do you know this church? Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. For the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope may be in God. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? Come on, y'all can talk to me. That's a beautiful picture of the gospel, y'all, 18 through 21. I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying it is. The Bible paints a not-so-friendly picture, though, of the wreckage of sin. Sin not only made it to where we do not see things as we should or do the things like we should. Sin also fractured relationships, broke dreams, and destroyed all kinds of relationships and families. It makes our way, it makes our way astray from God. And, only, and the only place that leads us is to jail and slavery, y'all, which is why this word is used here, ransom. Ransom. Basically, y'all, we get placed in places we don't want to be. But here, Peter says, as true children of God, here's what I want you to know. Not halfway understand, but know. Know that you have been ransomed through Jesus. What Peter is saying is that you are already children of God. You are already in the family of God. The price paid for the freedom from the bondage of sin, from slavery or sin, according to Catherine Gonzalez, a New Testament scholar, she, she says this. The word means here, the price paid for freedom from bondage, from slavery or, or prison. 
And this ransom brought you back to God from a new way of living that is different from the way of the lineage of death that you belonged to. Y'all, did you know your, your destiny? Your eternal destiny was one of straight direction towards hell. Straight direction towards where your forefathers were going. Death. That was where it was. And that price, Peter continues on to explain, is way, way more expensive than the gold chain that you saw on your favorite rapper. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Y'all got two chains out there and stuff like that. He's got two, three, four, five chains, and they're all real expensive. The, the blood of Christ trumps that by 10 billion gazillion things. You know what I'm saying? There, it is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. That price is better than silver and gold. That blood came from the cross of Jesus Christ. How precious is the blood of Jesus. We sing all the time, nothing but the blood of Jesus. How precious is this blood shed for you? This is the gospel to make us children of God. His blood was pure. His blood was spotless, which points us to the fact that Jesus did not deserve the cross. If you are a blood-bought Christian, did Jesus deserve the cross? No, you talk to me. Did he deserve it? No. no, he did not. But he did it anyways. He was sacrificed on the cross for our sake, for us. That's right, Mr. Webb. This Jesus who existed before all time, who did not have to, he was fine in heaven. He was enjoying perfect fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There was perfect love in the triune God or the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. He was perfectly good. And yet, as he looked at the deep, deep sin and hurt of his creation, of his people, of the people he loved, he could not help but, but come down from the throne of heaven. And he could not come and step into your mess and my mess. He couldn't help it. He was compelled to come. And the only way to satisfy the really wrong things we did was the fact that the precious blood of Christ was needed to be shed on the cross for our sins. This was done for our faith, or that word could be translated trust. And this was done for our hope in God, to make us children of God. That's grace, church fam. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working to bring you to himself so that your faith and hope are secure in God. Does that speak to you, children of God? Does that speak to you this morning, the gospel of grace? Do you forget to meditate on the hope of the gospel of grace that sets you free? Do you forget that sometimes? I mean, I know I do sometimes. I forget sometimes how beautiful that is, how wonderful it is. This is the same gospel of grace that's going to set the whole world right someday. And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, you just don't know. We're about to talk about some things about 
being holy, about being set apart for good works, being set apart for God himself. We're going to talk about that stuff, but I want you to know this. There's no way without you submitting to Jesus and giving your life as giving your life to him as Lord and boss, that you'll ever be able to do this. Holiness is derivative. Which means this. Our holiness comes from something else. We can't do it on our own strength. So if you haven't given your life to Jesus today, submit yourself to the gospel of Jesus Christ that we just talked about a second ago. He wants to be your boss. Do you know that? Do you know how much he loves you? I don't think we can hear that enough. I don't think Christians can hear that enough. That Jesus really loves you. I need to hear that so often. Oh my goodness. I love it when brothers and sisters pull up on me and say, you know what? Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. I love it. Maybe try that today. Go, go pull up on somebody and say, hey, man, Jesus loves you. Go do that, okay? But for the church, the children of God, for the rest of the time, I want to turn our atten- attention to the commands of God that Peter lays out in verses 14 through 17, remembering that it is through grace that we're able to even do this. We're even able to be holy. They are both individual commands to us, we have an individual responsibility, and they're also communal. That's a really important. Everybody say communal. Or everybody say community. Meaning this is for you. Everybody say this is for you. And then turn to your neighbor and say, this is for us. <laughs> yeah, this is, for, this is for us. So what does it look like to be a true child of God in the family of God, one might ask? Well, verses 14 through 17 kind of spell it out for us a little bit. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. The first statement in verse 14 is a negative one, which is connected to the next statement, but it is a call nonetheless. It is the same call that Paul had for the church in Rome in Romans chapter 12. We will come back to this later, but it should be stated that this is something that all of God's people throughout the world have struggled to do, to not conform to this world. We are, we are called to be light. We try to hide it sometimes. We are supposed to be a city on the hill for the world to see. And sometimes the world says, I don't like that city. Mm -mm. And it's not because they are being exposed for their sin. But it's because of the way that we treat one another sometimes and the way that we treat others. That's a problem, church fan. If you haven't noticed it, then turn on your news because the world has right now. Fortunately, family of God, this is really cool, though. We are not done. And God can turn anything around. Amen? God can turn anything around. But I will just say this truth, y'all. 
I believe right now in, in the Church of America, we are not shining as we ought to. We are not shining as we ought to. Like I said earlier, I could make a case that much of this has to do with the passions of our former ignorance. I mean, directly. The things that we say we hate, we're running right back to. Man. It's like we didn't take seriously. Man, I think, yeah. It's like we didn't take seriously Jesus. When he, when he said in Matthew 5, 13, if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? I think Jesus really is calling us as a church to continue to be salt and light in this world. God is full of grace, but I don't want to presume on his grace. And I just want to kind of sit here for a second. I think if we're honest, sometimes we just kind of get to these texts and we go, oh, okay, yeah, I, I'm good. I, I just want to say, man, no, we're not. No, we're not. The Lord loves us. The Lord does. But, man, do we need to confess some sins sometimes? I'm going to share something with you that's really vulnerable. You guys ready for it? I'm preaching to you. It's kind of funny. I'm preaching to you. Yeah, yesterday, I feel like the Lord is calling me to confess some sin to you right now here on the spot. Yesterday, as I was talking to my wife, this might seem small to you, but we were debating on what car seat to get we needed another car seat. And there's two in the Amazon cart. Y'all know how y'all leave the Amazon cart to like see which one and you're sitting there judging and stuff like that. And it was in there for about a week and I was like, man, I'm about to just buy this thing. And so I put the other one in a save for later. And I bought the other one. Later, my, my wife comes to me and says, hey, Jared, did you buy the car seat in the car? And I said, yeah, I did. That's the one you wanted, right? And she was like, well, I was still looking at it. I was still thinking on it. And, uh, and I said, a lot that I had to repent of, to go back to my wife and, and say, I, I'm sorry, I lied to you. My, I put it in the safe for later and told her, that I thought the thing had been put in the safe for later. You know how sometimes it gets taken off the thing and goes for safe for later? It was a lie. That's not holy. That's not holy. These things break God's heart. Even as I'm confessing this to you now. I'm a sinner who needs God's grace. Just like all of you. And I hope, I hope these things, they might be small. They're holding you back. When I, when I confess this sin to my wife, 
You don't know how gracious she was with me. It was such a picture of the gospel. And I learned more about Jesus through that experience than I ever have. I feel like. So many of us are missing this grace because we're afraid to confess our sins to one another, to confess our sins to each other. We're not okay. So many of us are hiding in this room sins from each other. These things destroy relationships and have consequences. And God really wants us to be holy as he is holy, which Peter directly quotes in Leviticus 11.44 or 19.2. This call is rooted in the fact that God is holy himself. We become holy and we are to imitate God because God himself is holy. God is set apart, so we get set apart. God is setting us apart, and so we are set apart. Y'all, it's good for children to imitate their parents. It's good. I love it when my, my son does this. I love it. My son and I have a bedtime routine, and I love spending time with him. In fact, if you hit me up at any time between 7.30 and 8.30, I'm probably not going to answer my phone because I love my time with my son, unless I'm out doing a Bible study or something. And every time we get to a point and it's time to, it's time to like pray together, I say, okay, let's pray. You know what my son does? He goes, he puts his hands together. And I love it. It's so fun. It's so fun. He's ready to pray. And the only way that he, he imi- the only way he does that is because he's imitating. The only way we're ever going to be holy, y'all, is if we imitate our Father who's in heaven. I get so excited about that. There's so much joy in that. That is the only motivator we could have, y'all. Are y'all still getting over the fact that I confessed some sin to y'all? Are you still getting over that? Hey, your pastors aren't perfect. We're working on this holiness thing too. It's about, it's about time you, you realize that. Help us. Help us. Pray for us. We pray for you. It's our fuel for holy living, our relationship with Jesus. It's the only fuel that would give us the holiness that we long for and desire. And as we transition out of verse 17, which Peter, continuing with his family metaphor, does, it's the call to the God, our Father, that makes us able to actually do the work. There's some fear involved with this, y'all. Conduct ourselves with fear and exile. Conduct ourselves with fear and exile. All throughout the scriptures, y'all, 
the fear of God is connected to wisdom. It can be described as the reverent or respectful awe of God. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And while he was saying that, he was giving a key or a gate to understanding the whole book of Proverbs through that phrase right there, the fear of the Lord. So if you want wisdom, here it is, the fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. It's the key in the gate to becoming holy. One of the reasons why this is so relevant today is that sometimes we forget who's running things. Do you ever forget that, church? Who is running things is none other but the God in heaven who is not only your father who you call out to, but is also your judge. When the children of God who are not fully at home in this world remember that God is a source of goodness and judgment, you get people who are reverent or respectful, and you get people who choose to be holy and live as they're supposed to. Maybe the fear of everyone is what stops you from doing this, y'all. What, what would it take? What would it take for you to fear the Lord today? Matthew 10, 28 says something really interesting. Jesus, when he was thinking uh, thinking and preaching and teaching his disciples, was confronted with this reality. As he's going out, he's making claims about himself. He has people on the other side saying, no, you are a worker of Beelzebub and Satan, which is truly not true. And he looks at his disciples and he says, don't fear them. Don't you fear them. Don't fear the one who can just kill the body. Fear the one who can also kill the body and the soul. Y'all, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people that I spend my time trying to please. And afterwards, I'm like, why did I do that? There's nobody I have to please more than my Father in heaven. And he is my judge, and he's also my defender. He's the one who sees me for everything I do, and he's also the one who loves me unconditionally. I have no reason to fear. I have no reason to fear what people think about me, say about me, any of that. I can, I can live in total confidence and stand before you right now and even confess sin to you that's really embarrassing because my God loves me and he knows me and he has judged on the cross all the wicked things that I've done, past, present, and future in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that? That's your destiny. As children of God, that's your destiny. Fam, I'm not going to go anymore like super deep here. I just want to say that I think it's not that we fear people too much, though. I think it's that we don't fear God enough. The if we feared God more, I think we would fear people less. Or things or circumstances or trials or troubles or tribulations 
pains and hurts. We, would, we wouldn't worry about that stuff if we knew who God was. And we looked at him and we said, you know what? You are God of the universe. Every provision that I need, you have in your hand. You own a cattle on a, thir- a thousand hills. A thousand cattle on a hill. That's it, right? Did I get the first five right, John Mark? Thanks, brother. <laughs> he owns that. He owns that. If, I, if I'm experiencing some trouble at work with a coworker, I can say Matthew 5, 9 over my life. Blessed are the peacemakers, even if it means, even if it means I look like the weak one in the argument, the weak one in the circumstance. I can be a peacemaker, for they shall be called children of God. Then Peter turns his attention to verses 22 through 23. And he says, having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and embodying word of God. The basis here for our sincere love has already been taken care of as we obey the truth of the gospel, the truth that you've been born again to. When we were ransomed from sin, we put on sincere love for all of God's children. Not that you worked for it, it's that when you were ransomed, you put on the love for God's children. That's what happened. That's the reality. But much like the rest of the passage, there's a call not to move from the gospel realities that are true to you, but instead to put on more of it, to be sincere, to be honest about it. All of us can use that reminder, right? Do you struggle to love your neighbor? Look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor, y'all. Especially when you appear with this gospel reality, y'all. Look around. Look around. The people next to you, if they've been born again, y'all, they're going to be with you forever. Listen, they're not going nowhere. Look at them. I ain't going nowhere. You going to love me? Mr. Webb, you ain't going nowhere. I better love you. I love, I love when you're baptized, by the way. I love the zeal, man. <laughs> Yeah, man. I love it, man. You going to love your neighbor? They're not going nowhere. This has a huge implication, y'all. This has a huge implication. Y'all, you might not be able to reconcile all the relationships in here. You can look at your neighbor. Some, some relationships have been really hurt, maybe even in this room. Maybe you can't fix them all right now. Maybe it's not wise to fix them all right now, this side of heaven. But the one thing we can do, looking and meditating on this truth, is we can forgive. I remember Brother Clarence in our foundations curriculum. It really struck me hard, man. That dude, I love that brother. Brother Clarence Hill, uh, the pastor at Antioch Church, was explaining how he was struggling. And I've been here in this moment sometimes, too, as a black man, struggling, looking at people getting shot on TV. And I'm mad. I'm hot. And the more I study it, the more I look at it, the more I get hurt and discouraged. 
and mad and angry and all kinds of different emotions. And Brother Clarence was talking about his experience of studying. And he got to a place where he, he, he said, man, my wife had to tell me to stop reading them books because I was getting too angry. And he went to a conference and he's heard Dr. John Perkins, which is one of our heroes around here. We love that man. He, we read all kinds of his books. If you haven't read Let Justice Roll Down, read it. It's a beautiful story in which as he was beaten and stricken by some people who were white, a white nurse loved him back to the gospel reality that God loves all people. And he was rooted then from then on. And he said the key to that was forgiveness. Oops, I just lost my thing. I just lost my thing, y'all. It was forgiveness. Will we be people of forgiveness? Mary folk, will you forgive people? Will you forgive each other when you mess up? Or are you going to harbor bitterness and hate towards each other? You going to let it go and give it to the Lord and forgive? That changed Clarence's life. Forgiveness has changed my life. Has forgiveness changed your life? I hope so. Amen. Amen. This truth is the very truth that verses 24 and 25 get us to see as we close. Because there's not very many things that are going to last past here, y'all. We look around at all these things. Sometimes we do all kinds of good things. It's great, you know. But sometimes we, we really focus on things that are really not going to last. It's going to be burnt up and gone. One of the things that will never pass away is the word of the Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. This is coming from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 through 8. And it is one of three metaphors. The other two you'll hear next week. You'll hear them next week, and they're really beautiful. His brother Chauncey is going to preach, and I know he's going he's to nail it. It's going to be bomb, I promise. Um, but this metaphor is really beautiful here for its own reasons. You see, Peter says the one thing that can never be destroyed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And to make it clear, he just says it straight up in the next, next phrase. This word, <laughs> this word is the good news, good news, the gospel that was preached to you. And this is not just singular, but this is a plural, you, y'all. This is for y'all. Peter says it is growing in you, the gospel. It is welling up in you until all things are made new. It is preparing your mind for action. Y'all, don't conform to the old world in an old way. Live in reverent fear. 
because you call the God of the universe your father. Be obedient and remember the gospel that sets you free from the futile ways of your fathers. Y'all, that's, that's something that's really beautiful about the gospel truth. Y'all, you, you might have had generations. I was looking back at my generations. I don't know my grandfathers. I don't know who they are, actually, still to this day. But I do know my father. I know what my God, God did for my father. And I can trust that what God is doing in my life, he can start a new wave of generations, of blessing and love. Y'all, he breaks those curses. Do y'all know that? He's a curse-breaking God. The word of the Lord remains forever. And it's doing the work, setting people free from bondage of sin. Behold Christ, the spotless lamb, given to you for faith, for trust, and hope in God. Love the children of God. Will you do that for me, church? Will you learn, love one another? Will you turn to a neighbor right now and tell him, I'm going to love you? Will you tell him that? Because y'all have been born together with an imperishable seed. Y'all going to be doing this forever. We're going to be doing life together forever. So what does this mean for us to do church? Well, there's all kinds of ramifications. But I'm running out of time. So I'm just going to let you guys study it on your own. I'm not going to do my parallel here or my comparison between here and Romans 12. It's such a beautiful comparison. If you get the time, crack open two Bibles or your phone and a Bible, open up Romans 12, and just read how beautifully the two are synced together. And what's really funny is this, is that Paul, an apostle to the Gentiles, and Peter, apostle to Jews, was saying the same things to the churches in different places. Which means this, that those truths are good whether you are black, white, Pacific Islander, Native American, Latino. I can keep going on, y'all. I can keep going on. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man. It doesn't matter if you are rich or you are poor. The church has always struggled with these truths, being conformed to the image of this world instead of being conformed to Jesus. The church has always struggled loving their brothers and sisters in Christ. But when we do it right, it leaves a massive impression on the world. And the world sees it and gives glory to their Father in heaven. And that's what Jesus wants, right? He longs for us to do this. And so I just want to leave us with a couple of verses from Romans 12, and I'm just going to leave it there. Here's what it says in verses 12 and 13. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Guys, we need to pray for each other more. If you remember to pray for someone, you're doing some good holy work, y'all. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I got some friends in here, y'all. I love going to their house. Where the bugs at, man? Oh, man, they're not up in here. I was about to brag on them.
They've been so hospitable. Uh, man, so awesome. Man, I, I, I am still blessed by what Chauncey did for me when I was living with the belts and they needed uh, to have a little time to have their baby. Chauncey said, you know what? Bro, come live with me. Here's my spare room. <laughs> Guys, I would, I would not be in the city if it wasn't for faithful men. I would not be up here if it wasn't for faithful people loving me like that. And the same is for you. So let's be the people of God, the children of God, who love like that. Can we do that? Remembering and preparing our mind for action on the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as I think about my friends here, I, I just, I'm so grateful for each and every single one of them here and what they've taught me. As I study the scriptures, I see so much of the scriptures in them. And Father, I pray that it would go deeper in our hearts. Lord, that we would be okay with confessing sin to one another, our brokenness. Lord, yes, yes, we do need to be wise about that. But Father, I, I pray that you would help us to, to confess sin, to, to love one another, and to really set our minds on not the things of this world, but on the things that really truly matter, the hope of the gospel, and all the things that entails, the good works that entails, the acts of righteousness and justice that entails. Lord, the people of God that we're going to love because of meditating on that truth. Lord, help us prepare for that. Set our minds on that. And as we set our minds on that, Lord, and we, we partner with you in the work that you're doing in us, Lord, I pray that you would continue to pour out gospel power through your Holy Spirit so that we may be a church that's full of people who love one another, who trust in you more than anything else, and show the world what it means to really be children of God. We love you and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.